Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. say that season two is going to be absolutely incredible because in season two i have a co-host co-host say hello hello that's caroline she's now my co-host so season two of shareable is going to be a little bit different we're still talking about people and technology but we're going to go a little bit deeper a master class so grab your favorite pen and your favorite piece of paper and get ready to take some notes because this is shareable Welcome back to the Shareable Podcast. I've been sitting in the studio with Caroline singing for the last hour. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're You've welcome. You've gotten so many songs stuck in my head. It's really weird. Um, it's my gift to you, really. Yeah, thank you. But uh, let's not bore people with our, our tales of great songs, because today we have a very special guest on the line joining us for Public Speaking Week. It's somebody whose work I have uh, followed since, I believe, 2008 is when I was first introduced to you, somewhere around that zone, 2008, 2009, somewhere in that. Uh, but I have Dory Clark on the line with us. Dory, say what up. Hey, what up? <laughs> <laughs> it is so cool to have you on the show. I'm really excited uh, that, uh, as we were talking just before, that I have access to a group of people that are so remarkable and doing such great things and whose work I admire so much. So I'm really glad you could fit, uh, fit us in your schedule and take some time with us to go over some things. So thank you. It is my pleasure. Thanks so much. Great to talk with you. Yeah. So there are still some people out in the world who don't know who you are and uh, shame on you for those people. Uh, but for those that do not know who you are and your story and everything, um, take a few minutes and just and kind of humble brag it up. Talk about your story. Tell us uh, who you are, what you do, what you have done, where you came from, all the things that you want to share with someone that'll give this episode some context. Oh my goodness. All the things. Okay. <laughs> I will I will briefly do all the things, Jeff, and then feel free to uh, to to dive in if you'd like me to uh, to go deep uh, for any of them. But uh, but the quick the quick Cliff Notes version is that I uh, after college I went to Harvard Divinity School, and so I have um, you know I got all my business expertise from uh, graduate school in theology, <laughs> and uh, did did that for a couple of years. Got a master's in theological studies, and uh, then I became a journalist. And one of the formative experiences for me was getting laid off from my job after just about a year unexpectedly. And um, I could not find another journalism job. The industry was just kind of collapsing at the time and uh, unfortunately kind of still is. And so I transitioned into doing politics because I had been a political reporter. So I uh, worked in press on political campaigns. I worked on a gubernatorial campaign, presidential campaign, etc., Ran a nonprofit for a couple of years, and then 11 years ago started my own business. And uh, originally, that uh, business was just marketing strategy consulting. Uh, but a, a number of years ago, maybe five or six years ago, I decided that I really needed to make a concerted effort to diversify my income streams. And so that in many ways is what my new book, Entrepreneurial You, is about. Uh, I realized that diversification really is the secret to de-risking yourself as an entrepreneur, not just diversification in terms of you have numerous clients, but also that you are doing different kinds of things. And so I have eight different income streams now, and uh, speaking is is one of them, uh, which is how we met. And, uh, and so it's been a, a pretty exciting journey. 
That is super exciting. And uh, you are speaking to what I perceive to be like the promised land for me, which is multiple income streams. I don't know how you can possibly manage that. Uh, I'm sure I'll just have to read the book and, and, and go through the whole process of it. But I have so many side hustles and things I'm interested in that, um, and I'm sure there's a very big difference between having a side hustle and having uh, side or, or multiple streams of income, and, and we'll get into that. Um, but one thing I also want you to, to go a little bit deeper on is this isn't your first book. Talk a little bit about some of your previous uh, writing and speaking and some of that stuff, if you could. Indeed. Um, so Entrepreneurial You, my newest book, is my third book. And um, I guess fourth, actually, if you count an ebook that I did. Uh, but but so my my first uh, my first book was called Reinventing You. It came out from Harvard Business Review Press in 2013. It's a book about uh, personal branding and professional reinvention. It's really a book about how do you reinvent yourself into the job or the career that you want. Um, my next book kind of picked up where that left off. Uh, that one was called Stand Out, which came out in 2015. And I was really excited uh, because Inc. Magazine actually named it the number one leadership book of 2015. Um, nice. Forbes, thank you, Forbes named it one of the top 10 business books of the year as well. So uh, so that was great. It was really well received. And that is a book about how to become a recognized expert in your field. So it's kind of like, all right, with reinventing you, you reinvent yourself to the place you want to be. And then with Stand Out, it's okay. How do you, how do you really make a mark? How do you, uh, how do you excel and become known as as being among the best in your field once you get there? And then entrepreneurial you, in many ways, I feel like is kind of the culmination of the trilogy because that answers the question. All right, you're good at what you do. How do you make money doing it? Love it, and and I love the fact that you framed it as a trilogy. I was going to ask you, any chance that you'll release a fourth book called Just Retire? <laughs> <laughs> Just seems like a natural progression, but I, I love this whole, uh, you know, the focus on an individual and really not cramming it all into one book. But taking your time, and, and maybe that was just an organic process where it just seemed to make sense to, you know, the first book was reinventing you and then naturally made sense that Stand Out came next and then you're like, oh, Entrepreneurial Leader comes next. But I like the fact that it's really each book has its own very distinct focus and that they do fit naturally together as a trilogy. Yeah, it, wa it was something that um, that was actually kind of an organic evolution over time. I was really just writing books that were about topics that fascinated me that I wanted to to learn more about. But as I was in the process of doing them, I realized that in many ways it kind of formed a, a cohesive whole. That's awesome. So let me ask you this. Um, I, and there's so much I want to get into with you, but there's like so many things I just want to pick your brain about, especially the fact that your uh, some of your work is is framed in the idea of this personal branding, right? And there's so much talk about personal branding out in the world right now. And so much of it has been littered with people who are just louder and more consistent and I get louder is really the biggest word for it. They're just out there and in front of you a lot, but they don't necessarily have a lot to offer. What's your take on the state of personal branding as a concept? And, and where would you say that your dividing line is between kind of what you're doing versus what, what the common understanding of personal branding is? Well, you know, I, I, I kind of joke sometimes that my specialty is taking, uh, taking all these topics that are considered, um, like really shameful <laughs> in our culture and uh, and trying to rehabilitate them. So I spend a lot of my time talking about personal branding, networking, making money, like all, all the things that, that, that a lot of people are like, oh, that's so crass. How can we talk about that? But I, f I feel like it's really important to reclaim them from the bad guys, as it were, because there are so many people that are 
that are doing it wrong or you know that, that are that are just promulgating this this image where uh, they assume that if you if you talk about uh, personal brand that that has to mean just some unspeakably obnoxious thing or if you're talking about networking that it's about uh, you know this really just sleazy shoving yourself down somebody's throat and uh, of course you know that, that that should never that is never that should never be someone's exemplar of it those are the the bad actors those are the outliers that cause problems for what are otherwise really valid and important topics. You know, when we think about personal brand, the the reframe that I like to give people is look, personal brand may have this kind of freighted connotation in your mind because we're using this this modern terminology that, you know, might make it sound like, you know, you're a brand the way that Tide is a brand, but <laughs> fundamentally all it is all it is is a synonym for your reputation it is it's is just modern parlance mm -hmm. and if there is anyone out there that's like i don't care what my reputation is who cares what a reputation is you know i, I think it kind of illuminates the problem I, of course your reputation matters in in fact in many ways you might argue it's the only thing that matters you know what are you known for do people respect you I don't think that that's a silly thing for people to be talking about or thinking about in the professional context. I think I think that's actually critical, and we need to reclaim the space for the good guys so that people can can think about that in a way so that their true talents can be recognized and they don't have to be feel embarrassed for thinking about that. I totally support you in this endeavor because I feel like part of what I try to do in my work is I try to reclaim social media from the social media d-bags who are <laughs> you know trying to just take this beautiful tool that can be uh, so impactful to the world around us to make happier employees, happier customers, uh, you know, a business that cares about its community around it, all these different things uh, that's more responsive, yada, yada, yada. And, and I want to take that back and I want to I put that out there. So I appreciate that you're standing for the importance of things like personal branding and, and networking and, and taking the whole idea of multiple income streams from being something that sounds like a TV infomercial or a bad Facebook ad and saying like, no, the this is actually a real thing and it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're only going to work 2 days a week and it doesn't mean that you know it's going to be easy or that you know you just have to do an ebook or a webinar but there there are processes and there are tools out there and I appreciate that you're being so thoughtful about those things. Yeah, yeah, speak it brother. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about who we're going to talk to today and how we're going to help them. So, if you were to imagine somebody right now, they're in their car, they're driving uh, from from home to work or from work back to home and they're listening to our episode and you're going to help them with something today. We're going to talk about some of the things that are an entrepreneurial you and that, that you have experience in that, that you think you can drop some knowledge on people. Who do you think that person is? Where are they in their career? What are they yearning for? Who's this audience of one? Well, I was thinking about this, Jeff, when you asked the question earlier and, uh, you know, because you, you had emailed me to, uh, to give a little guidance about what we were going to talk about. And I, I think that the, the ideal person that I would talk to is somebody who currently has maybe just one income stream, and it could be from a job job, or it could be that maybe they're an entrepreneur, but they're only doing one thing, the way that I was originally, and they would like to just get started, maybe on a second income stream. Like, how, how do you actually begin the process of, of tapping into multiple income streams? Okay, that's awesome. And I think that probably appeals to a lot of people because, I mean, let's be real, we all need a little bit more money, Most, at least 99% of us do. Um, yes. So it, it certainly can't hurt. I'm sure that it could sound daunting, uh, especially if you're working 40 or more hours a week, 
you know, you're tired, you want to spend some time with your family, all those things. It can be daunting uh, to think about the idea of, of uh, creating new income streams and how much work that might take. Um, frame it for us a little bit. What's your perspective on this idea of, of building multiple income streams? Is it something that's open to just about anybody that has a passion or anybody that has a skill? Kind of frame it a little bit for us about, you know, who this is open to. Yeah, it's open. It's open to everybody. I mean, I feel like I feel like people make these things way too hard. You know, people just always want to be like, oh, but I, you know, I live overseas. Oh, but I'm left handed. Oh, but, you know, I have kids. Those left handed people, they are at a disadvantage. There's a lot of things lefties can't get. They just can't be part of it. I feel I feel bad about the scissors situation. Yeah, really unfortunate. Um, But but yeah, of course, it's open. It's open to everybody. These these are not magic things. I feel like something that really bothers me in our culture sometimes is that, you know, for this is true for, for literally anything. I mean, aside from an immutable genetic characteristic like like height or something, let's say, I think that when people say, oh, well, you know, only special people can be entrepreneurs or something like that, it's just patently false. If someone is saying that and they are that thing, I think it is just a, a form of ridiculous ego gratification where they're just trying to say, oh, well, I'm better than other people. And I think that if people are not that and they say that, I think it's it's just an excuse. Of course, anyone who has, you know, I mean, we're assuming some basic things that, you know, you're you're living in a in a Western economy and, you know, you you have, you know, en- enough income to put the lights on over your head or whatever. Access but- to the Internet, maybe access to the internet. But if, if those things are true, then absolutely you can do this. Awesome. So when, when I hear multiple income streams, when I'm not talking to you, that is, uh, when I hear multiple income streams, the first thing that pops in my head is my Facebook newsfeed filled with 400 ads from people that are telling me about how they're going to build the funnel and they're going to do webinars and they're going to show me how to do all this. And I'm going to make seven figures a month, uh, you know, within eight weeks. So that whole area has been somewhat tarnished. Um, what do you think are some of the mistakes people go into this thinking, you know, based on maybe things that they've seen or maybe things that, um, you know, they worry about or whatever, you know, what's the starting point that you think people have to get over? Yeah. So I, I think, for, first of all, just to your to your point, Jeff, about what the common conception is about multiple streams of income and things like that, this was actually... I agree with you entirely. That is kind of the common perception sometimes. It was a perception that I had for a long time and why I didn't really focus on, I'll call them internet-enabled ways of, of making money for a long time because I just thought it was like this, you know, the purview of scammy people. And so it, it really, it held me back from exploring it, which I regret because I, I think, you know, I've come to really understand that like anything, um, you know, internet marketing is a channel you know, it's a value neutral channel and you can use it for good ways or you can use it for bad ways. And I think that just because uh, the outliers have, have tarnished it doesn't mean that it's not a valuable way of reaching people in an ethical way. And so one of my great joys in this process is writing Entrepreneurial You, uh, which is a book about how to make money, especially a book about how to make money online and doing it under the purview of Harvard Business Review Press, because I want it, you know, which is it, it, literally we go through a peer review process for this uh, for this book with with HBR. 
because I, I really wanted to take something that people might think of as this super scammy topic and write a, a like very credible mainstream book about it to reclaim it in that way. Um, so to answer your second question, what's a mistake that people make? Um, I would say a mistake and part of why people often, I think, feel a little overwhelmed by this is that they try to take on too much at once. Um, I now, as I mentioned, have eight different income streams. This did not happen overnight. Uh, it happened over a period of, let's say, uh, you know, five years. And so what I advise people is certainly do not try to have, you know, 10 income streams like all at once. What you want to do is pick one or maybe if you're really if you're really ambitious, maybe two new income streams per year that you focus on. One is better at the beginning and just make that your plan for the year that you're going to really drill down. You're really going to master that. And then once you do, once you have kind of figured it out and you're able to operate with a little bit less effort, then add another one. But, but only then don't, don't try to take on too much at once. I love this. And it reminds me of, there's a, there's a Bill Gates quote, uh, Bill Gates quote. That's uh, most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And, um, and, and I, I so believe everything you're saying there because often when we meet with clients, they're expecting that like we're going to have results in like a week and a half using social media and it's like n nobody knows who you are. <laughs> no, yeah, you're not going to yeah. just win just because you showed up. Nobody was waiting for you. You have to be consistent. You have to build uh, things over time and, and it's going to take that time. So I think that's a, a really great uh, lesson. Uh, before we get into like how to actually do this stuff because I want to walk through step by step a little bit. Um, we, we briefly touched on this idea of how the internet was a little bit of a game changer. Would you say that a lot of the advice that you have in Entrepreneurial You or things you've discovered would be possible without the internet? Or is it that this book could really only exist and, and these uh, pieces of advice could only really exist in, in the way that they are now in the existence of the internet? Well, you know, Jeff, I, I really wrote and laid out Entrepreneurial You in a kind of um, – uh, you know, in, in some ways, it's sort of a chronological fashion in the sense that uh, in the early part of the book, I talk about ways to make money in, in very uh, analog, uh, hands-on fashion. So there's chapters about consulting or about coaching or about speaking, for instance, which are things, of course, that, that plenty of people did and, and do without the internet. I mean, you know, obviously speakers and things like that have websites, but uh, but by and large, it is not so much about the internet. You're delivering talks in person. Um, but later in the book, I actually turn to things that that and and there's a significant part of the book that really is uh, predicated on the internet and, and new ways to make money, partially because these are things that because they have really come into play in a big way in the past decade, a lot of professionals, you know, e even very talented people who may have big followings, haven't necessarily uh, jumped on as a way to make money just because they they might have looked at it in 2007 and it wasn't really ripe then. And then they're like, oh, OK, I won't do this. And, you know, now in 2017, it's a very ripe way to make money, but they, they might not have uh, have shifted over. Now it include things like podcasts, blogs, uh, online communities, um, you know, virtual summits. All of those are, are very good Internet enabled ways to make money. Online courses for sure. Awesome. I'm very interested to learn more about virtual summits at some point. Um, all right. Awesome. Well, let's let's start at the beginning then. You, you mentioned that your book kind of goes in a little bit of a chronology. Let's let's kind of just take this. Uh, you don't have to go down every possible route or example, but let's talk a little bit about the process of um, 
of going from kind of the reinventing you through the entrepreneurial you kind of briefly, let's assume that somebody's kind of figured out something that they like to do or that they're good at. That's that's all this fictional person has at this point. Uh, and they have a job and they're looking to create multiple income streams. Pull from any bit of the, the three books that you've written in the trilogy and, and take us through kind of the first step in this. How do you prepare to get started? What are your first steps in this? Sure. So uh, one of the one of the first things to uh, to do is literally to to kind of just get started, <laughs> which sounds kind of kind of crazy, but uh, but I'll explain what I mean. Um, there are a lot of people out there. I mean, there's even a term for it. They call them entrepreneurs, and uh, those are people that keep talking about being an entrepreneur and just never seem to get around to pulling the trigger on it. And the truth is, uh, being an entrepreneur, it it doesn't start when you think about it. It doesn't start when you read a book about it. It doesn't. It doesn't have to start when you you know incorporate or you form an LLC or you you know get office space none of those things are the mark of an entrepreneur what what makes you an entrepreneur is that you get paid for something you you have closed some business that's what makes you an entrepreneur and so i think that the very best thing you could do if in fact you've gotten to the point where you feel like you know what you can offer people is to literally go out and get yourself a client and it does not need to be uh, you know, at, at premium rates, it can be at, at this ridiculously low discount rate, but you do it as proof of concept. If you can get your friend to pay you 25 bucks for a coaching session, congratulations, you are an entrepreneur, you have started. And that that act creates momentum. You can actually start telling people now, oh, well, you know, I've started a coaching business on the side. And that begins to get people listening. Oh, really? What do you do? Oh, my friend needs that. And the, the, the wheels are turning. Um, I tell the story in Entrepreneurial U about a guy named Michael Parrish Dudell who was interested in uh, becoming an entrepreneur. And, you know, the stuff that he was going to consult on, he knew all about. It was not going to be a problem for him to deliver the services. But what he worried about, what could be a problem, was that he had never sold anything before. And he realized that if he was going to be a successful entrepreneur, then obviously he was going to have to learn how to close business. So he set himself a challenge. And this is not a bad thing necessarily to do. Um, he decided he was going to give himself 30 days and he really wanted to do this. He really wanted to be an entrepreneur. But he said, you know what? If I can't get a client in 30 days, when I am just going all out, when this is my focus, when I am really just you know, putting the pedal to the metal on this, then I'm, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to give up. I'm going to go back. I'm going get to get a day job. But I am going to make this happen. And sure enough, because he, he applied the focus and the pressure, he was able to make it happen. And he uh, actually managed to get three clients in the first 30 days, and his business just kind of took off from there. But I, I think that that initial push is sometimes the most critical ingredient. So let's unpack that a little bit before we move on past it, because I think this is a critical point. Because if you don't get started, you can't get to the next point, which is, you know, growth and profitability and all the other things that happen from it. So as as an entrepreneur, and, and it's funny, when you were going through, you're not an entrepreneur when you do this, you're this, it's, it's when you start getting paid. I often think, you know, when did I become an entrepreneur? I don't think there was ever a point where I became one. I just think that I always have been one. I, I cannot exist in any other sort of circumstance except the entrepreneurial setting of like going and doing stuff. So in terms of like starting things, when I have an idea, I'll, I'll just like build it at like 9 p.m. And then I'll just wow. go out and like 
tr- like I started an online uh, a side business. It's an online dating consultancy, and I put like the minimal amount of effort into it, and I got two clients. Um, <laughs> and and I put together a workshop. It took me like you know forty five minutes to an hour. Um, it, so like for me, it's the sort of thing where I don't really think about it, but. Um, and, and, and you were saying things earlier, like, you know, that there's no real difference between somebody who's an entrepreneur and non entrepreneur. Everybody can be. And, and I, and I, I appreciate that, but there are people who are going to hear that and, and be stuck. They will be the entrepreneur. They will be unable to get over that hurdle to just get started. And I really like that you talked about the example with somebody setting kind of a drawing a line in the sand, giving themselves a goal. What are some of those things that you found in your research while you were building this book that get in people's way and how do they get past them? Yeah. So if if people are experiencing, um, you know, some some blocks or some some hurdles with this, I mean, oftentimes one of the big challenges that uh, that we face in today's economy is just that there's there's so many choices about things that you could be doing. Um, so especially, like, let's just take marketing, for instance, which, of course, is, is my uh, initial area of expertise. I mean, you have someone who's starting out. And you look at the options. Okay, you know you need to get clients. You know you need to uh, build your business. So clearly you're going to be doing some marketing for that. And they look at the options. They they you know they they see what's out uh, out there being talked about in the popular press or the entrepreneurship press. And they say, okay, well, should I try Twitter? Should I do Instagram? Should I do uh, Google Ads? Should I do uh, like going to the Chamber of Commerce networking events? Uh, should I do content marketing? I mean, it's just this infinity of options. And so I think that oftentimes there's a paralysis around that about you know what's what's the thing to do. Uh, um, or in fact, they might feel like, well, geez, I need to do all of it if I'm going to be successful. And clearly I don't have time to do all of it. So therefore I won't try. And I think obviously, uh, either of those is, um, is not, not helpful to the, to the business endeavor. Um, if someone is hitting a milestone, I, uh, or sorry, if, if someone is uh, hitting a roadblock, what I would suggest for them, first of all, I think that it that it is really useful and important to try to surround yourself with um, with a community of people who can help you. Mm-hmm. This is uh, pretty critical. And in my book, Stand Out, I actually talk about this. That if you um, the the subtitle of my book, Stand Out, is how to find your breakthrough idea and build a following around it. And so for that, I interviewed more than 50 top thought leaders across a spectrum of fields and really tried to analyze and, and do like a reverse engineering of how they became uh, prominent in their worlds. And what I realized is that when it comes to having your expertise recognized and really uh, building that, that following, there was a three-step process that just about everybody followed. And that was building your network, building your audience, and then building your community. And briefly, what that what that looks like, the first step, the critical step, is uh, building your network. Meaning, um, these folks are not just operating in isolation and then, you know, voila, here's my brilliant idea world. Um, that, that usually doesn't work because you need people to talk about things with. You need to uh, have people to bounce your ideas off of. You need people to actually help you judge whether your idea is good or bad, which is very hard for most people to know on their own. You need to be part of a conversation so that you know that your idea is actually relevant to what's being talked about. 
So the first step is really getting a, a, a like-minded community of people that you're in conversation with. And then once you have that, it enables you to hone your idea and make sure it's good. Then it's worth you building an audience, which is where you start talking about your idea publicly and really sharing it so that you can reach out to people that don't already know you and start to get momentum around your idea. And then finally, the last step is uh, building your community, which is where it's no longer just you. You have built enough of an audience that that audience starts talking to other people and they start talking to each other. And the idea takes on a life of its own beyond you, which is really how it becomes viral and becomes part of the culture. Love it. Okay. Got it. So I, I think um, that gives it a baby step, right? So if somebody's in that position where they're feeling overwhelmed by the options or they're feeling like they have to do everything, step one, just start with your network, right? Start thinking about who are the people that you can bounce these ideas off of, who you can talk to, who you can get advice from, um, and and who can kind of help you work through some of those early challenges. I think that's a really good kind of starting point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's something that early in my business, I really, uh, I really lacked, you know, I, I didn't know a lot of people who were doing what I wanted to do. And if I could go back in time, I would have made a much more concerted effort to build those relationships and to learn from them. Yeah, I totally hear that. It's funny, when I think back in my business, um, and, and it's not like I didn't uh, catch this lesson. I, I caught it like almost immediately after it happened. But I remember there was a point in my business where um, we had lost a client and it was like looking kind of bleak, like the company's prospects, like maybe I should just quit and go get a job sort of thing. And I, I was just casually talking about it with somebody in my network um, who, you know, I had done business with before. Um, they were kind of a, a strategic partner of ours. And I was just kind of saying like, ah, you know, things aren't looking good. I, I just don't know if this is going to be for me. I don't know if it's going to happen. And, you know, I think I might wind up closing down the business if, if nothing happens shortly. And that guy went out and he got me two clients within like 30 days. He just was like, hey, I, I got somebody to introduce you to, introduced me to two different people. And that was like one of those points that once I made it past there, you know, things started to take off again. But But I had to make it through that. And it wasn't uh, it, it never would have happened, I don't think, had my network not come to my to my rescue there. So even going back when you were saying, you know, first thing is to, to get started and try and go get paid for it. Well, if you don't even know how to get there, maybe start by looking at your network because oftentimes the people that like you and know you and believe in what you're doing are going to be the ones that are going to help you get to that. Yes, that's great. That's such a good story. Thank you. I, I didn't work on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to workshop <laughs> it a little bit. Next time we get together, I'm going to workshop that story. But it, it's a true story nonetheless. Um, <laughs> Okay, so people get okay. So now we've got uh, th this person, this fictional person that's driving in the car and listening to us has uh, has gotten the idea that they got to get started. And a good place to start is you know tapping their network and all that sort of good stuff. And they're ready to jump into it. Um, when we when we take one half step back from that, what are they getting started? How do they determine where is their area to get started? Because you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of options for how you market your business or how you, you know, um, you know, what kind of sales materials you should create or whatever it is. But like, how do you even pick what is the right thing for you to do? Because just because you're passionate about it doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a business there. So talk to me a little bit about how people can even before they get started one half step back, how do they pick what to get started on? Sure, sure, exactly. So one of the pieces of advice that I have uh, for this is that a common mistake that people make when they're thinking about creating a, a different income stream in their business is that that oftentimes, and you know, this is so true with uh, with a lot of business ventures that people start, 
people just come up with something they think is a cool idea and they're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then they and then they, you know, invest a lot of time, a lot of money sometimes and they launch it and nothing. And of course, that is that is sad. That is a waste of, of time and effort and resources. And um, I'd like to see a lot less of that. And so to that end, in Entrepreneurial U, I actually tell the story of an entrepreneur, uh, now a very successful entrepreneur named Bozy Dar. And he, he originally, his first entrepreneurial venture was very much like what I described. He decided he was going to come up with an app. He was going to do a smartphone app. And he had this brilliant idea, so he thought, and uh, he paid a lot of money to get it developed, launched it, nothing, nothing. It just languished, and it was really a failure, which was unfortunate. Uh, but over time, he he kind of stepped back and he realized what he did wrong, which was that he ha- he hadn't tested it with any with any clients. You know, he hadn't talked to people that would be prospective buyers to see if they were interested in it, and so that gave him the perspective to realize something else, which is that an area of his life where something was really working was uh, in his day job. He was a uh, an executive at a life sciences company, and he was doing great. He was getting promoted all over the place. And so to the to the extent that, that a lot of people in the company noticed, and they were coming up to him, and they're like, hey, what are you doing? Can I take you out to lunch? Can I take you out to coffee? You know, like, what's your secret? And he got that enough that he realized, oh, my gosh, people actually really care about this. People are, are really interested. And they thought of him as an expert in it. And so it made him realize that he'd kind of been barking up the wrong tree. Um, he had cooked up this idea that nobody wanted. Meanwhile, he had been ignoring what was under his nose the whole time, which is that people were already coming to him looking for career advice. And so with with that knowledge, he decided to launch uh, something else. He cre- His new entrepreneurial venture was he launched an online course in how to get promoted more frequently. And uh, he put it out there. And that that one took off. That one connected and was immediately successful. In its first full year that he released it, he earned $106,000 on the side from this online course. Uh, and so I think the, the first thing to do is really to ask yourself, in your friend circle, you know, among the community of people that already know you, what do they consider you an expert in? What are people already coming to you for? For most people, there's probably something that you're known as, you know, the the blah, blah, blah one. Oh, he's the one who knows about technology or, oh, she's the one who, you know, has a really great fashion sense or whatever it is. And you take that and you you play with that. That is that is a powerful initial clue for you that can help lead you to the the right uh, area. That's awesome, and I, and I love the uh, the whole conversation around testing first because I we see that a lot. When if somebody comes to me and they're like, I have an app, my first response is no, because most of the time people come to us with apps and they're like, it's because they had a brilliant idea and they invested seventy five thousand dollars in getting it built. And now all of a sudden they're like, okay, now who who wants this? And I'm like, if you can't come in and tell us exactly who already wants this and you already have people using it and wanting it and loving it, then then I don't really want to be part of it. So I love this idea of, of kind of trying things out a bit, finding a community, seeing what's there. And I think on, on the other side of it, which is um, don't just run with what you think is your great idea. Look at the evidence. Look at what you're actually good at and the things that people are saying that you're good at. I think that's a really great approach. 
So yeah, thank that. you. Yeah, good good job on that. Good job discovering that. Um, but okay, so now now let's go back to this fictional person. They've they've figured out what it is that they're good at. They think they want to you know start some sort of an online business or some sort of a business in general, and they want to make some side incomes. Uh, let's talk about how they know when they're ready to actually start taking it to the next level. All the different paths they have available to them: the speaking, writing of books, maybe starting podcasts or whatever. Is how do you know when it's time to buy into your idea? Is there a certain milestone or sort of checkpoint that you think when you get that gut feeling, this is when you'll know? Yeah, I, th- I think that, um, you know, ultimately you you test out lots of different stuff, right? And what, what you really want to do is just lean into where the momentum is. And I will give you an example from, from my own life. Um, I had wanted to write a book for a long time and, you know, just, just kind of like a childhood dream, you know, like, oh, it'd be really cool to write a book. And so, of course, when I started a business, I thought, uh, you know, looking at the different ways to market oneself, I was like, oh, well, writing a book would be awesome. Let me try that. I tried in 2009 writing three different book proposals. And I was, I was hoping so much that one of them, just, just one of them, I figured, had to be good enough that somebody would publish it. And, of course, the, the truth was um, nobody wanted to publish them. Zero of them got accepted because I had not built uh, a substantial enough brand. And what I came to realize after the fact was that they weren't interested in the, in the you know, manuscript. I mean, they, I guess they are a little bit. But really what they're interested in is your platform, meaning – how famous are you? And uh, and therefore, they can kind of guesstimate how many sales you might get. And that was, uh, you know, un- upsetting for me because uh, I didn't really I didn't really get it how the game was played until that point. But I realized I was going to have to go back to square one. And so for me, having started out as a journalist, I thought, okay, well, how can I build my platform? How can I build my brand? And I realized, all right, um, I guess the way that I can do it is blogging. So I started blogging, and it turns out I, I didn't I didn't realize this consciously. Um, this was not really part of a of a grand plan, although it worked out pretty well. A blog post, in a lot of ways is a really good testing mechanism for a book because, you know, a book obviously takes a a huge amount of time, a year, two years, something like that to write. Blog post takes, you know, an hour or two comparatively. It's 700 words as compared to 60,000 words. And so as a result of that, you can put out a lot of little tests into the universe. And so I ended up writing a bunch of blog posts in my quest to build a platform. One of them, an early blog post that I did, was called How to Reinvent Your Personal Brand, uh, which ran in the Harvard Business Review. And when it when it came out, um, that actually became popular, and it was popular enough that I got asked to turn it into a magazine piece for HBR. And when that came out, actual literary agents, multiple ones, reached out to me and asked, oh, do you have a literary agent? Would you like to turn this into a book? And so that was that was pretty cool. And uh, for me, it was a sign, all right, I placed these, you know, to use the, the phrase from the author, Peter Sims, uh, I placed these little bets. And you can see which one is uh, is capturing people's attention. You know, I mean, sometimes the metrics differ, right? I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, um, 
a lot of people are commenting or a lot of people are are sharing it or a lot of people are, are reading it. Um, if it's uh, about some service offering that you're doing, maybe it's that normally you might launch something and, you know, five people write to you. And for this one, 25 people write to you, you know, whatever it is. But it's it's just seeing uh, amongst these these little bets that you place head to head. Where is the traction? Where is the momentum? But when you can establish that, it allows you to say, oh, okay, this is what the market wants. And I think oftentimes once you see what it feels like for for the market to want something, then you're like, oh, that's how it works. Got it. That makes perfect sense. Question about the platform piece though. So I just got done reading Mark Schaefer's book, Known. I don't know if you've read it or heard anything about it. but it's Yeah, I think a, I'm in it, actually. Actually, I believe you actually are in that book, now that I think about it. Yes, that's funny. Yeah, you are in that book. Uh, so um, in that, he talks about finding your place and finding your space, and he has a whole breakdown of how you go about doing that. Um, in terms of kind of hitting the reset button and thinking about how to build your platform, what kind of consideration needs to be played towards saturation? So, you know, there might be a bazillion social media marketing experts out there. So me building a platform on social media marketing, not necessarily going to be a thing, but finding maybe a niche within that. What are some of the things you might advise somebody to do if they're trying to build that platform to, to find a, a niche that they can carve out and actually build an audience to build a platform? Yeah, so this, this is a really good question, and you're absolutely right. This is a piece that I talk about a lot in my book, Stand Out. Um, I have a whole section about, uh, about kind of owning, owning your niche. And I, I would say a couple of things. I mean, one is that sometimes you can arrive at it through strategy in the sense that there may be an area that is just logical for you to own. You know, like if you I'm making this up, but if you were a former minor league baseball player, Jeff, and now you're a social media consultant, well, obviously you have more standing than most people to become an expert in social media for sports teams. And so, you know, take it's, you know, sort of take pieces of your biography and meld them together. And uh, and then you can you can kind of own that turf. Uh, So so sometimes if you just kind of think about about your background and what's unique about it or things that you've done, you can create a space for yourself that would be both fun and something that uh, that it makes sense. You know, people people would hear that be like, oh, you used to be a baseball player. Well, of course, you're the social media sports guy. Um, So that's helpful. But, you know, sometimes that's not always so crystal clear, right? Um, Maybe you just really don't like specializing. Maybe you're just not sure. Um, if and, and honestly, that was the case for me. When I started my business doing marketing strategy consulting, I was told by everybody that I should specialize. Like I understood that that was um, the received wisdom and that it was probably a good idea. But I just, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. <laughs> you know, I... There was a lot of things I was interested in. I didn't want to close any doors, you know, this sort of typical problem. And so in that case, um, I actually, honestly, I just let, I let the market tell me very, very similar. Um, so, so for instance, I wrote about a lot of different topics early on. Again, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of content creation, whether it's blogging or podcasts or whatever, hit a lot of topics, you know, I mean, you might generally know your thing, like in my case, okay, marketing, but, uh, but I also wrote about kind of leadership topics and various facets of marketing, et cetera. And, um, you know, I just let my interests, uh, range 
And honestly, it will take you longer. It will take you longer if you follow this approach because it's not as targeted. It's a little bit meandering. But you can see what sticks. And so in my case, when the blog post for reinventing your personal brand became popular and I got to write the book around reinventing you, well, okay, once you write a book, you are considered by others at least to be an expert in that particular field. And so I spend a lot of time now talking about personal branding, talking about professional reinvention. That was not a strategy of mine. There were a lot of potential topics that I could have um, that I could have theoretically gone in the direction of expertise on. Now, of course, you know, now I really do have expertise in those topics because I've been talking about them for years. And so uh, there's a, there's a real depth of knowledge there. But the honest truth is that I did not choose that. Uh, the market chose it for me. And then I um, I developed the expertise uh, almost post facto as a, as a result of that, as a result of writing the book about it and uh, and speaking about it for years. So actually, that's a good point. I want to ask you about that piece, which is the speaking. When did you, because that's, I don't know if that was a strategy or just you feel comfortable talking in front of people, but, and I, and I know that you got to jump off soon to, to go and talk to somebody else. Um, but I, I do want to make sure we spend a few minutes talking about your speaking career and the success you've had there. How did that come about? Was that a conscious decision? Did somebody just ask you to talk? You got up there and you're like, oh, I kind of like this or I don't hate it. You know, how, how did you look at speaking as part of this greater vision to create multiple income streams and, and kind of take on your own, um, you know, way of promoting yourself and your business? Yeah, I, I always liked speaking. Um, you know, I think, I think early on people, you know, whether it's like, whatever, delivering a report in class or something like that, you probably have a sense of whether speaking is something that you abhor or if it's something that you enjoy. And so I always enjoyed it. Um, the, the trick, though, was getting people to pay for it because from the time that I started my business, I was I was doing public speaking as, as a way of driving leads and hopefully driving client referrals and inquiries and things like that. Um, and so I was, I was usually able to get people to, to quote unquote, let me speak, uh, but it was never for money. And I think the big transition is, is how to, how to bridge that gap. Uh, for me, the turning point really was the publication of my book, Reinventing You. That was what, uh, I think in the minds of, conference bookers and people like that establish me as enough of, uh, of an expert that would be worthy of being brought in to, um, to speak for money. But as, as part of it, I actually uh, developed what, what I call Clark's Law of Professional Speaking, which I write about in Entrepreneurial You. And it, I think for everybody, it kind of goes like this. Um, step one uh, or phase one is where nobody wants to hear you speak, period. Um, step two is where they're, they're glad to have you speak for free. Step three is where they're glad to have you speak and they might even have a little tiny bit of money or maybe they could pay your expenses or, oh, look, look, we have a gift certificate for you. <laughs> and then finally, step four, which, you know, it's a process getting there for all of us, is where they're actually willing to pay you your real fee and what you're worth. Um, and so I'll actually, I'll actually just mention, Jeff, along those lines, uh, for people who are interested, whether it's in speaking or other forms of uh, developing multiple income streams in your business, I actually created a free resource, which is the 88-question entrepreneurial use self-assessment. And if folks want to get that, which actually helps you think about how to apply uh, the development of multiple income streams to your own business, uh, folks can get that for free on my website at doryclark.com. 
Solid. We'll put those in the show notes because we want to make sure people can find out everything about you, your speaking, your blogs, your um, books, everything, because you're just you're just such a rock star. I'm so uh, appreciative of the fact that you took that time to come onto our show, drop that knowledge and uh, and all the resources and everything that you provide. So, Dory, thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for making time for me and for being the first to answer my call uh, in our super secret group. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's wonderful to talk with you guys. All right, cool. Well, before I let you go, I want to give you just a few minutes to, if there's anything else you want to let people know about you or where you are, where they can connect with you, where they can buy from you, whatever it is, aside from doryclark.com, anything else you want us to throw in the show notes? Oh, thank you. I'll just, I'll just, uh, you know, remind people the book is Entrepreneurial You, and uh, if people, if people want the whole trilogy, it's uh, Reinventing You, Stand Out, and Entrepreneurial You. Solid. We're gonna put all three in the show notes. Um, and uh, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. I've been mostly quiet because I'm taking diligent notes. Felt like this episode was just for me. <laughs> it's always the best, nice. <laughs> awesome well uh thank you so much again for coming on uh i think this episode was really awesome if i had to characterize it in one word i'd probably say it was caroline shareable there are a couple thank yous and shout outs in order first thank you to ray bueno for all of that sexy production value and a quick thank you to me for producing the show i'd like to send a shout out to dj quads for the use of our theme song always and ahimitsu for the use of our outro song adventures follow Jeff on Twitter at Jay Gibbard and you can follow me at Caroline Tassone. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod and just shareable podcast on everything else. That's Facebook, the gram, everything. You can email us at sharablepodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe. Do all the things. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating. Review us on iTunes. Tell a friend. Tell your mom. I don't know. She might like it. My mom does. Hey mom. <laughs>